It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I'm your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the program with me in the KFG studios, my uh, fellow CFP, Kevin Corhorn, and special guest back again, Corey Johnson. With your 401k or other retirement plan at work, there are five critical decisions that you need to make, both at the time you enroll in the plan, but then also on an ongoing basis. What are these five key decisions, and how do you make great decisions with all five? We're helping you with that and more on this episode of The Wise Money Show. This is why I love financial planning. Financial planning is all about giving yourself as many choices as possible and identifying those, being aware of them, and then the financial planning process looking at all six areas of your financial life helps guide you to of those you know that vast those great cho- excuse me good choices which is the right one which is the great path to take and and you can do that through a comprehensive financial planning approach if you have a question for the program or have any needs we'd love to to hear from you you can call or text 574 222 online wisemoneyshow.com is where you can find us and engage with us that way and then all over social media as well just search the Wise Money Show. Corey, welcome back. Second show in a row. We're, we uh, last show. If you missed it, and you own or run a small business, there's five challenges every small business faces with having a retirement plan. You can overcome those, okay? And and a lot of law changes have made that easier, but more complicated. So work with the right team. Now, turning the focus to from running a plan to actually participating in the plan, there are five key decisions that you need to make before we get into those, Kevin, as you're sitting down and, and, and Corey, you as well, uh, but sitting down with people and they're just about to get started in their 401k. What is the most common question that you get? I think the most common question, because when people think 401k, the, the, the only thing they're really thinking is investments. And the question is, how should I invest my money? And it's, it's very interesting because I, I think when you're born in the hospital, they, they have two different shots that they can give you. One is a saver shot and one is an investor shot. And if, you're, if you get the saver shot, you are not an investor. And if you try to become an investor, you're going to be miserable. The problem is for, to reach your long-term goals, it's hard to be a saver with saver results and get where you need to go financially uh, with your investments. Because building wealth is a formula, and we're geeks, so we make everything a math issue. So, uh, But building wealth is cash times time times risk, right? And so if you're not throwing a lot of cash and you don't have a lot of time, you're not c- taking a lot of risk, then you're, uh, the, that equation, your inputs to that equation, it's going to be hard to build a lot of wealth. If you've got a lot of time, and you're throwing as much cash as you possibly can, but you're not taking enough risk, that also is going to limit your wealth building ability. So yeah, I would agree, Kevin. I, I would change that. Corey, do you have, what, what's the most common question? Yeah, and it really Same depends. Same thing? Well, that is definitely a, a huge one, but I would say a common misconception is, one, how much is my 401k gonna make me? Which that's just a misunderstanding <laughs> of what a 401k is. But then also, how do I get my money out of the plan if I were to leave or if I just need, hmm. uh, I need my money. And that is a great one because they, when you someday we'll write a book about common misconceptions 
uh, of the 401k plan. And a lot of people think that's the, it's like the company has control over my money, the company is going to keep my money, these types of things. And the, the rules are set up based on ERISA, and listen to our last show if you're curious about the Employee Retirement Income Security Act. Um, but yeah, it's, it's your money. It is the only part that might not be your money is if there's any vesting involved. Mm. But they're, that's, yeah. yeah. Uh, you think, you know, so we're in this day and age where everyone's baby names are, you know, these wild. I, I have a Carrington and a Kuiper, right? So they're very unique names. Arissa, you think we're going to, oh, have we seen someone? I, I could, bet, I bet there's an Arissa out there. If you're an Arissa, please reach out to the <laughs> Wise Money Show or want to know that you exist. See, I, I would agree. Those are, those are great first questions. We get those all the time. See, I, I get that. How much should I contribute? I would have said that's probably the most common that I get. How much? And I think it speaks to your point, Kevin, about this risk of, you know, of investing. How much should I gamble? I, I feel like is more the question. That's mm-hmm. the question behind the question. Sure. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. Okay. So regardless of all those questions, you've got five key decisions that you need to make when you're signing up for your 401k. But the other key point, guys, isn't just what are these five and how do you make a great decision? It's not just up front on an ongoing basis. And I'm going to ask the guys how frequently should you revisit these questions. But on an ongoing basis, you need to make sure that you like your answer to these five questions. So the very first one is actually the one that I said, coincidentally, um, and, and that is how much should you be contributing to to the plan? So how, what are your choices? How do you help people make a great decision? I think it comes down, one, what buckets do you have available in your retirement journey? Okay, because there's IRAs, there's Roth IRAs, there's 401ks. So that's one piece of the pie. But then what is the percentage of your pay that you need to get to to fully fund your retirement? Mm. Yeah. What's the necessary sacrifice? And I like to quote somebody else because if it's coming from me, people listen and they, they, they hear a number from me and they think, well, yeah, you don't care about me. You don't care if my life's miserable. I can't even make it you know, paycheck to paycheck and you're telling me I should put X amount in. So I just... I like to talk about, you know, that bald guy with the Southern accent that- Who's really mean, yells at people? Yeah. 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 And has uh, seven steps for babies. And, <laughs> and I, I, he says 15%. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, that's good. I don't think anyone's ever been disappointed when they hit 60 or 65 or 70 that they'd saved that much. Because again, what you're doing is you're putting- keys on your cosmic keychain to unlock doors in not it's and it's just it's not just in retirement you don't know when you're going to need this money you don't know what the future holds so you're this is really your your rainy day fund and if you say hey i don't you know i don't know how much to contribute because i might not be here for that long well put it in a roth put it on the roth side and if you leave the job soon you can roll that money into your Roth IRA, and you can also take your contributions out. Yeah, okay, so that's the second decision. We'll, we'll get to that. But So oftentimes, as we're sitting down with folks and for initial financial planning meeting, we're asking questions and talking about goals and how you think you're doing, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, okay, so how much are you contributing to the 401k? Oh, the maximum. 
And I've just learned to pause at that point <laughs> because that maximum means different things to different people. And I would say more than 50, 50% of the time when someone says they're contributing the maximum, what they actually mean is the minimum. In their view, and maybe in yours, the maximum is, well, I'm doing as much as I need to to get the company match. Mm-hmm. That's the minimum. Right. I see now I'm turning that ball guy yelling at people. I know. I <laughs> get I mean, off my lawn. I mean that in love. I mean that in love. No, think of the change, change your change, change your paradox. That's uh, that's the paradigm. That's the minimum. That's a minimum you should do. Get the full match. The mm-hmm. maximum is the IRS limit, which right now is twenty two thousand five. It's up to hundred percent of what you make, with a cap at twenty two thousand five hundred. If you're younger than age fifty, if you're age fifty or older, or what I call experienced in life. It's 30 grand. That's the maximum. I'd want you to do as much as possible, get there just to get enough for the match. That's the minimum. To me, I would agree with you, Kevin. Start at 15%. No one's ever been mad about that. Build that, create that as as a habit. Try to work towards hitting that IRS limit because I don't think you're going to be mad about that either. But then as you get further on down the road, in your 40s, certainly by your 50s, you need to be building that five-factor retirement plan to see, all right, how much do I actually need to? Yeah. It, when you're in your 30s, you can't really, you can't, it's more about habit building than it is, well, how much do exactly do I need to contribute to be able to retire when I'm 65? There's so many variables, so many things that will change, you're not going to be able to get to an exact number. It's more so habit and vector, the keys to that cosmic keychain, Kevin, like you mentioned. How does auto-enrollment fit into this? Really quick, Corey, when there's auto-enrollment, what percentages are those? So typically it's going to start out at, it's up to the employer, but the base is 3%. Okay. That's going to put, put you in somewhere at 5%, somewhere at 6%. It's really up to the employer there. Um, but that makes some important decisions for you yeah. that we're going to talk about here in a little bit about what you're invested in and what the tax consequences of that is. But I am, uh, I've done it. I've said that before on the Wiseman show, I'm not a fan of the auto enrollment, but, and also that auto enrollment percentage I would think is, is too low as well. So what are more of the important financial decisions you need to make with your 401k? We've got that and more coming up on the Wise Money show with Corhorn financial group. This is wise money with Corhorn financial group. Do you have a 401k or retirement plan at work? 403b. Gosh, oftentimes we just say 401k. 403b pretty pretty similar, guys. What what are the big decisions that you need to make up front and on an ongoing basis? We're helping with that and more. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn, special guest Corey Johnson. Stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online wisemoneyshow.com. All over social media, we're there as well. Search the Wise Money Show. The five key decisions that you need to make when you're enrolling in your retirement plan through work, whether that's a 401k, a a 403b, now even a simple IRA. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. What are those five key decisions? And then on an ongoing basis, going back to these decisions and making sure that you're making the right ones. First one, how much should you contribute? Working with a CFP, they're going to help you dial in on what that number is and how much that should be. Start at 15% in our opinion. Second key decision is, should you contribute pre-tax or Roth? And if we go back to the auto enrollment that we left off on, that is going to automatically put you into the pre-tax account, which it might be the right choice for you. But for many of us, it, it might be the wrong one that just creates a tax liability in the future. 
Yeah, and the auto enrollment it, it, that is sometimes depending on your HR department that they're not a fan of that because if you auto enroll a new uh, team member in the plan and they weren't they didn't want to but they don't necessarily look at their paycheck stubs on a regular basis and they see after a time period where you can easily undo it that it's happening and it de- depends on the person but you know people can get a little bit a little disappointed by this whole thing even though you've told them 17 times and you know they've got eight emails about it and everything else so they they can still somehow not know that that was happening and and I understand that it's it starting a new job isn't kind of an overwhelming thing there's lots of uh, of stuff to it but you're right and and Mike's you know your big beef Mike is that if I get auto enrolled I assume the job is done mm-hmm. and it's not that's just a down payment but here's what's coming and you need to understand this every plan is going to eventually have to restate their plan and offer auto enrollment. Yeah, I, I think it's a, you know, Congress isn't listening to the Wise Money Show yet. I don't think, or, or, or they they are and they don't like me because I, yeah, I, to me, auto enrollment is okay. Oh, I'm supposed to save my 401k and be ready to retire. I was auto enrolled. So done. No, no, that's not going to get you where you need to go. But Congress is basically forcing it. And I like the nudge. I do. But have that nudge be Okay. Yeah, I'm going to do this now. Let me make these five decisions as opposed to let me put these five decisions on autopilot where I'm not even making the decision someone else is for me. Because here's the idea, going back to this second the second key decision, pre-tax or Roth. When you get auto enrolled, is that at the beginning of your career or at the end of your career? Probably at the beginning. Right, because you're starting a new job, mm-hmm. and yes, you can get auto enrolled when you switch jobs. I get that, but odds are near the beginning of your career, so you've got more time. Gosh, advantage Roth, in my opinion, the more time you got, advantage Roth. If at the beginning of your career, earlier in your career, are you making the most you'll ever make in your life, or is it eh, a starting salary? Probably starting salary. Everyone's different, but probably starting once again, making less. Probably going to make more in the future. Advantage Roth. Right. So to me, this is exactly the time where you want to harness these decisions and make great choices. And, you know, Kevin, the other what did what did we say? I'm cha- I changed my middle name to Roth, Michael Roth Bernard. <laughs> I just love it. I, not as much as the bald guy over in Tennessee with the accent. He makes right. it sound like if you're not doing Roth, you're making a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. That's definitely not the case. But I think a lot more people should be using Roth that aren't. And some people it's not always black and white that, oh, you have to do pre-tax or you have to do raw. Some people need to do both. Yeah. <laughs> I So this is a long, long time ago. Quick side comment. Um, we were in a situation where we were straddling a tax bracket. And so uh, for my wife's 401k, we had her doing half pre-tax, half Roth. I had it sort of dialed. And there's a couple ways that you, if you're in that situation, you can approach it and yeah, for lack of you know more creativity, we were doing 50-50. And it was at a rare time, this is a long time ago, where the retirement plan advisor was, came out and, and talked to her staff. And someone else asked the question. And this guy stood in front of them and said, that's dumb. It's dumb. And you would never want to contribute some pre-tax and some Roth. That's dumb, in my opinion. That, that I mean, how... It, it, Great way to alienate people, and you have no idea. I, anyway. I know, and so it that story reminds me of a story 
there was a retirement plan advisor that was in an office and he made a, an offhanded comment similar to that to this woman and for I think a period of five or six years she couldn't look at anything related to her finances. Oh yeah. So we don't realize the power of our words to either heal or do great harm. Yeah. And so this so this is where um man it's so important to uh be to be encouraging with this stuff because everyone most people I'm just going to say everyone's insecure about their finances. There's oh, yeah. even even if you do this for a living, there's still this fear of missing out. There's this, hey, there's something out there that I don't know that I should know that I could if I knew that I could help my clients even better. So yeah, I think we ought to be really careful with that. The other thing with this, so pre-tax, when you make your contributions, it's a deduction on your tax return. Okay. You still have to pay FICA tax on it, but there's no federal and state. It's a deduction. And then all the money pre-tax within your 401k is sheltered from taxes. So dividends, capital gains, all that stuff, it doesn't land on your return. And then when you withdraw that money out there in the future, that's when it, you have to report it as income. Whatever you drew out that year, each year, you have to report that as income, just like, just like you earned it, ordinary income. Okay, So that's pre-tax. Roth, there's no deduction on your contribution. You put your money in, it doesn't help you on your taxes today. But then all that investment activity is sheltered once again. And then when you pull that money out in the future, most importantly, the growth on that, that growth comes out tax-free. You don't have to pay tax on it when you withdraw it. So really the question is, are you in a higher tax bracket today and will be in a lower tax bracket when you draw the money out? Or are you in a pretty low tax bracket today and you think you'll be in a higher tax bracket tomorrow or they're going to increase tax rates or something, that's when you'd want to want a Roth. So that's essentially it. You're going to want to talk to a certified financial planner, someone that can help give you some perspective, help you with that. But there's another key decision that you've got to make starting right now. And, and that is with a company match. The company match has always been pre-tax. It's always been pre-tax. You never had the choice on that. You could make it after tax by then doing an in-plan Roth conversion. But now just about, and I'm saying that, I'm saying it jokingly, it's available, but no one can do it yet. Um, and that is you can decide to have your matching contribution be Roth. So this is yet now another decision. I don't think we're going to make it the, the sixth key decision you need to make with your 401k. It's a big one. It's a big one. So, Yeah, and that that is pr actually pretty unbelievable. The only thing that I can see that will allow that to happen, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to be technology. Because yeah. the number of moving parts and the ability to to get something wrong in that whole program, it's pretty astounding. I actually I did misspeak earlier to getting something wrong. I said Congress must not be listening to the Wise Money Show. They they absolutely are, because we I was belly aching about not being able to make your <laughs> your matching contribution Roth. I was belly aching about that maybe two years ago, and then within a year, all of a sudden it was it was part of the Secure Act 2.0. That's that's pretty cool. Thank you, Congress. <laughs> that's the only time I've said that. All right. What? Are, so those are two big decisions you need to make with your 401k. Third one, let's let's start unpacking it. And that is what Kevin mentioned as m maybe the most common question people ask. And that is, what should I invest in? What What is your investment uh, mix? Kevin, you've actually said in previous shows, we've talked about, hey, what's the biggest financial decision someone makes in their life? You've actually said the single biggest financial decision is your investment risk or your investment mix. Allocation. Yeah. 
to use a fancy word. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's that's because if you get that wrong up front, you can go, gosh, we've had this where you go two decades or whatever and someone comes in and meets with their CFP and they sit down and say, oh, I just can't stand my 401k. It, it stinks. You know, it's not making any money, blah, blah, blah. And you look at it and say, oh, well, no, no wonder you're investing in just bonds or you're investing in a qualified default investment alternative. We'll get to that in just a second after the break. And, uh, and it's just in cash. Yeah, no wonder it stinks because it, you're, you're using Clydesdales, you know, and you don't have the right investment mix. Or the opposite, where you went gangbusters on risk. In the short term, it was risky. Mm-hmm. And you made it, you jumped out at the wrong time and you, didn't, you weren't patient and let it, let it rebound. So we're going to talk more about this big decision as well as the other two. We've got that more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. What are the big, big financial decisions you need to make when you are enrolling in your 401k or 403b or simple IRA? And then on an ongoing basis, I would argue at least, I would argue once a year, okay, we're going to get into this. But what are those big decisions that everyone needs to make with their 401k? We're helping with that right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name's Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and special guest, Corey Johnson. Every episode of the Wise Money Show, as well as a lot of other content, it's on the YouTube channel. Go check it out. Go to YouTube, search the Wise Money Show, subscribe to it there, turn on notifications so you're made aware every time we drop new content. All right. Uh, every time you, I would argue every year, like I said, and but certainly when you're enrolling in your 401k or 403b or retirement plan at work, you've got to make five key decisions. Auto enrollment is this big thing. It's this big push, and it means you're not making any decision. Hate it. Hate that idea. Love the idea of nudging you and encouraging more people to participate, but then make these decisions. This third decision is what's your investment mix? Yeah, so in your investment mix, really, it's in my uh, opinion, it comes down to two main factors. There's a whole variety of them, but they are how long do you have until retirement? When does that cash flow situation change? And then what is your appetite for risk? Or what risk do you have to take in order to fully fund your retirement? And when you are auto-enrolled into the QDIA, the Qualified Default Investment Alternative, likely that's either some type of money market or a target date fund are probably the two most popular yeah. choices. So, so and just to unpack that a little bit, a QDIA, as, as Corey said uh, a little more quickly, that, that Qualified Default Investment Alternative is a fund that has to be selected for people that are auto-enrolled, when you auto-enroll, they don't want the liability of, of selecting investments for you on the, the plan sponsor uh, at all. So they say, hey, if you're going to auto-enroll at 3%, 4%, 5%, whatever that number is, it's going to go in this fund. So whether I'm 21 years old and, and auto-enrolling into this, or 61 years old, I'm auto-enrolling into the same fund. And I can tell you this, it's the, what, where that money should go is different based on those ages. Yeah. Uh, your typical investment choices, we talked about this last week on, when we were talking about the major challenges and frustrations of having a 401k, and that is typically most 401ks don't offer a, a, a robust lineup 
of, an, of great investment choices, and they're stuffed full of target date funds. I would say target date funds, this is just my professional opinion. You can you know get mad at me if, I, if, if you disagree. Target date funds are appropriate for very few people. Mm-hmm. Very, very few. A, a certain segment. It's not no one, so they serve a purpose. But it's not for everyone. I would hope that you're working with the CFP and that your investment lineup is robust enough that you can actually build your own custom um, and and an appropriate investment mix. I call the target date fund a prefabricated portfolio, which is mm-hmm. just fine. Mm-hmm. It's just fine for, for some folks. What I what often stands out to me is when we're looking at someone's 401k and they've got a target date fund and then they've got a smattering of other funds. Well, that's like grabbing a prefab and then also adding more windows on top of the windows. Mm-hmm. No, that doesn't that doesn't make sense. Or adding three doors. Right. No, your target date fund, if you're choosing that, then that's all of it. And I would rather have you pick, go through, okay, uh, of the three or four in large cap funds available to you, which one's the best one most appropriate for you? Of the couple mid cap funds available, which one's the best one for you? Small cap, same thing. International, same thing. Emerging markets, commodity, real estate. I'd rather build out that, that mix that then you control the rebalance, you control um, the, you know, whether you want to make a change or, or something like that, as opposed to just going just go and target date personally. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think sometimes in terms of an automatic versus a manual uh, shifter, if yep. you will. We'll get, we'll get to that here in, in just a second. Um, what, how does someone make this decision, right? So I, I want to go back to this. For investment mix, Corey, you mentioned a lot. If, if a 401k or if a company is not working with a, you know, certain type of retirement plan advisor you've got one person that shows up once every five years to talk to the employees (laughs) oftentimes the participants view that person as the investment advisor and they get their investment advice from that individual i think that's a terrible idea personally Mm -hmm. so what's the alternative to that well i'd say one meeting with an advisor regularly but then deciding what allocation do I want? Do I, I, it seems like you need large cap, mid cap, small cap, international emerging markets, probably some real estate and potentially depending on where you're at bonds and a stable value. Yeah. And so, so that's a, that's a nice mix, but you know, earlier mentioned, you mentioned Corey, uh, this idea of what risk are you comfortable with? The reason why you want to meet with a financial planner is the, the, to answer the question, what risk is necessary? Yeah. Because if I'm comfortable with a certain level of risk, but in order to reach my long-term goals, I need to take more risk, I've got to reconcile that. So if you say, no, I'm not taking more risk, that's fine. You've just, there, there are simple levers. You just got to save more. Mm-hmm. And if you say, okay, I'll save more because I don't want to take the risk, that's fine. Or if you say, no, I can't save any more, then you either have to take more risk or change your goals, extend your time horizon. There's this; yeah. It all needs to kind of work together. I think sitting down with a CFP who can look at your situation and let you know, here's really what your investments need to do for you in order mm-hmm. to 
for you to reach your financial goals, that's the person that is equipped to help give you investment advice, not the person that shows up once every five years. Now, if you've got a, a team that shows up every six months or on a, on a regular basis and you get to know them and you've communicated your goals to them and you they know what else you have, they might be in a position to help you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but I, still, I love the working with a CFE that knows your situation, knows your goals, knows your risk tolerance and can can kind of walk with you on that. All right, the fourth big decision that you need to make when you're starting your 401k, when you're enrolling or on an ongoing basis, is your rebalance schedule. You, you what would you call this, Kevin? Your your shifter? I, I, I yeah. But your rebalance schedule. What uh, <laughs> what's that all about? What is a rebalance schedule? What what's rebalancing anyway? Well, that's funny because I want to answer your question, but I, when I was talking about an automatic versus a manual. I was talking about a target date versus selecting individual ah, funds. Ah, but this see? this as well is an automatic versus a stick shift. Because if you say, hey, I don't have a rebalance schedule set up, then you're basically using the stick shift. You have to decide when to shift. And for most folks, it, it, it would happen so seldom that they're just not going to remember unless you're super hyper-organized. And the reality is no one wants to do it. To be a good investor is totally counterintuitive to what your lying eyes see and tell you because you look at that and you say, well, this fund is doing really well and this fund's doing really poorly. So I want less of the poorly and more of the well. And that is the wrong answer because the oldest adage investing is to buy low and sell high. By automatic rebalancing, you're selling high and buying low. Yeah, here – oh, go ahead, Corey. Yeah, I was going to say the the automatic rebalance, I like to call it the guardrails to your retirement plan. Because mm. every quarter or every semi-annually or every, or every year, once a year, it's going to automatically just put you back to where you would like to be. True it's, up. Yep. Yeah. Make sure that recipe is is correct. So yeah, you've got to buy low, sell high. That's the, okay. That's how that's how you should invest. Well, but I don't know what the market's going to do on Monday. I don't know what the market's going to do next week, next quarter, next year. I I don't I don't know. So how do I how do I do that? Does that mean I have to be this great predictor, and I've got to be a good guesser? No, no. Unless you're a trader, then uh, then then you know you're working the system. But for the rest of us that are long term investors, you buy low and sell high. Two ways. One is buying today and or investing today and over the long term. Because when you look at the statistics, it's what, 50% of every day the stock market's going to be down. But when you expand that out to a quarter or a year or five years, it's less and less chance that the stock market's going to be down over that longer time period. So that's one way that you buy low and sell high is just to be a long-term investor, buying consistently. The other is through rebalancing. What's my overall recipe? And then snapping back to that, I agree, I agree, Corey, on an automatic basis. We're going to explain that a little bit more, as well as hit the fifth major, major decision. We've got that and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and special guest, Corey Johnson. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcast. So, gosh, it's spring. It's nice out. Throw the 
the headphones in, go for a walk, whatever, and uh, do some yard work, all that stuff. Put on podcast. Go to wherever you listen. Search the Wise Money Show. Subscribe to it there so that every single week as we as we post a, a new talk show that gets right to your phone, right to your podcast, but then also rate the show as well. That's great feedback for us and then helps others who are looking for content on wise financial decisions, helps them find us. So we appreciate that. Uh, right now, we are talking about the five key decisions that everyone needs to make with their 401k or with their retirement plan at work. This isn't an, this isn't optional. You've got to make these decisions. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about this, but if you do the auto enrollment, those decisions are being made for you. It's not there. I'm, I'm going to I refuse to make these decisions. No, you have to. But in auto enrollment, they're going to be made for you. And we would argue, gosh, no, you you want to you want to make these decisions. The fourth one is what we're in right now, and that is make your rebalance schedule. So, Corey, I guess explain a little bit more of the what. Like, what is a rebalance schedule? Why why is it important? What else could you add there? Yeah, and think if we're going to just keep hitting on auto enrollment and the things we like and don't like about it. But in the auto enrollment, the default is you're not going to have a rebalance schedule. It's just it's not there. Okay. Oh, so, see, I didn't even know that. Gosh. So likely you are driving the stick shift at that point. But Interesting. The, but the why why would you want to do that is you you don't want to have to drive a manual stick shift, especially especially if you're not used to investments. Like you want to make that automatic and work with your CFP so that you're not subject to your own whims on what you think is a good time to go buy and sell and. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. The, the big idea. So just to break it down a little bit more, because some of you, especially if you're if you've had a 401k for a long time, maybe still at the same employer, you're not familiar with with a rebalance schedule, automatic rebalance schedule, because maybe it wasn't even an option long ago and you've just never really given much, paid much attention to it. But the big idea is if if for your if for your risk tolerance, for your financial goals, the right recipe of investment allocation is, you know, 30% in large cap U.S., 10% in mid cap, 15% small cap, you know, 15% international, 5% emerging, 5% real estate, so, something like that, right? Well, going along, because all of those categories are great investment areas that together take each, you know, take risk, but when combined together, they provide diversification and, and give you an overall mathematically high level of rate of return that you can achieve over the long term with less risk because you're using, you've got different eggs and different baskets. Um, but inevitably they're cyclical. So large cap might be performing really well. And what was supposed to be, what did I say? 20, 25% might it's supposed to be 25%. Can't remember, um, is now creeping closer to 30% because it's doing better, but small cap, what was supposed to be 15% is now actually only 12%. And if you look back, if you look back, I mean, decades and decades and decades, small cap crushes large cap, or let me just say it differently has crushed large cap. It's, it's not even close. And when people, when I say that to people and they're surprised, I think, no, 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 no. Remember, Apple used to be a small company. Small, you know, it, what, Amazon used to be a small company. And so as these, as these companies exploded, it provided all sorts of, uh, of, of returns to investors at that small cap level. So anyway, um, but as your investment mix gets out of proportion, a rebalance schedule 
trims back some of that large cap that now is supposed to be 25%, let's say, I can't remember, and is now closer to 30, trims some of that back and then adds it to the areas that are a little light because they've underperformed. And again, that's counterintuitive, like Kevin said earlier, because you might say, oh, no, let the winners ride. Well, yeah, to an extent. That's why you don't want to rebalance every single day. But at the same time, the way to make money investing is to buy low, sell high. Well, how do you sell high if you're always letting, you know, winners ride? It's to trim off a little bit of that growth that an area has seen and add it to an area that has underperformed. And you want to do that unemotionally, in my opinion, which is why you need an automatic automatic rebalance schedule. Sorry, I was just monologuing there. Corey, anything you'd add to that? Yeah, at the end of the day, it's an automatic rebalance allows you to buy what you have to buy, sell what you have to sell to maintain your asset allocation. And that allows you to buy high and sell low. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. Buy, buy low, sell buy high. Low, yeah. yeah, got it. Uh, all right, so last, the fifth major decision that you need to make with your 401k is who's your beneficiary? Who's your beneficiary? And so, yeah, Corey, explain a little bit of that that decision. Yeah, this is probably the least fun decision to think about because um, really we're talking about if you were to go slip on a banana peel, who needs to receive this money? And really there's two uh, different types of beneficiaries. There's a primary and a contingent, or sometimes they're called second secondary uh, beneficiaries there. But the primary is if you were to slip on a banana peel, who needs to get this money? Mm-hmm. And if you're married, likely it's going to be your spouse. I've not ran into too many people when helping uh, participants make these decisions say, hey, I really want to not leave this money to my spouse because then you have to go and get a document signed by them. And it's just not a fun conversation. Yeah. Um, Secondary is if something were to happen to me and my primary, if I slip, if we slip on the same banana peel, who gets the money then? Right. And uh, or also, if your your primary beneficiary passes away before you and you haven't gone in and made this decision again, changed it. So if you've got if if you're the owner and you've got your spouse as a beneficiary and you've got your kids as contingent and your spouse passes away, what sort of emotional condition are you in to go in and make that change? It's certainly going to be a while before you'd actually be able to say, uh, okay, I guess I need to clean this up. I mean, just gosh, you're it, it's so that's why having that contingent is important. It says, yeah, you're right. One of the least favorite decisions. It's also one that I think people are afraid to mess up because there are tax ramifications. There's obviously, you know, inheritance type ramifications and, and all that sort of stuff. So it, it's, it's, um, not something that you need to dwell over, but it's also not something that uh, is particularly particularly enjoyable. Yeah, I think one of the main ones that I run into quite a bit is, should I list my minor children as contingent beneficiaries? Yep. And I don't know, we're both in that situation right now, and your kids may not be at the maturity level when they turn age of majority, age typically age 18, to receive a large lump sum of money. Right. So you've got to be aware of that. You also need to be aware. This is why you got to work with a CFP qualified, uh, you know, someone that's able to help you because the SECURE Act has changed these rules, really. Used to be that you could, if you had a minor, you could structure things in such a way that they could draw, they would get access to a little bit of the money for as long, you know, for the rest of their life. And you could put a trustee in place to and some, some other guardrails. And now... Whether you draw it up like that or not in your in your 401k, they 
they are required to withdraw the entire account within 10 years of them turning age of majority. Okay, so if they're 15, well, once they turn 18, they've got 10 years to empty that account, withdraw all the money. If they inherit the dollars when they're 22, well, then they've got 10 years to, to withdraw all the money. So you've got to make that decision. Okay, so those five key decisions, how much are you going to contribute to your 401k? Are you going to contribute pre-tax or Roth? Second, what's your investment mix? What's, what, what's your investment strategy that you're going to use? How often are you going to rebalance that, uh, that investment mix? And uh, we would argue, set it up automatically. And then who's your beneficiary? These decisions have to be made up front when you're enrolling. But then on an ongoing basis, you need to revisit these decisions I would argue once a year. I personally think, especially that Roth decision, pre-tax or Roth, that could change each and every year. Corey, would you recommend something similar or what are your thoughts? I would say taking a peek at it yeah. every quarter because okay. you're going to get a quarterly statement. That's mm -hmm. not saying make the change, just be aware of what's going on and then making the changes uh, maybe once a year or when you're meeting with your uh, CFP because near the end of the year or halfway through the year, you might decide, Hey, we've got this big bonus coming or receive the big bonus. And I need to switch from Roth to pre-tax. Yeah, I need to, right. I need to shelter some of that. So this isn't revisiting your beneficiaries every quarter or even every year guys and, and making that decision, but it is on an ongoing basis, just making sure I've got those right and all that sort of stuff. So work with your CFP on that. They're going to help you with these five decisions. They're going to be guiding you and helping you make great decisions in these areas. So work with your CFP on that. All right, that's all the time we have for today. On behalf of Kevin Corhorn, Corey Johnson, myself, and all of us at Corhorn Financial Group, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. All right, YouTube, Kevin's got to leave. We'll see uh, on the radio waves and podcast if we can make it sound like he's here. If, uh, if, if AI is able to keep Darth Vader's voice the same, for the next hundreds of years, maybe we can get Kevin's voice AI'd into this thing in this final segment. Mike, <laughs> I am not your father. <laughs> All right. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.